Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diary of a Messed Up Country. My name is Caleb and on this episode we are going to be talking about what is tearing this nation apart and the agitation in the East. To discuss this issue with me is a young Igbo man, Mr. Paul. Hello Mr. Paul. Hello Mr. Caleb. Thank you for getting me involved in this discussion. Everyone is aware that the country is messed up. One can honorably say that if Nigeria is a building, it is messed up from the foundation to the top roof. So I'm glad to be here with you today. Thank you for connecting with me today, Mr. Paul. We are going to start by admitting that this nation is messed up. If this nation is not messed up, we will not be seeing what is happening in the East today. The question everyone wants to know are, why is Kanu massively supported in the East? Why do the Igbos want to leave this nation? Is there any future for an Igbo man in this nation? Are Igbos safe in this nation? What do young Igbos think about this nation? Who is marginalizing the Igbos and how? Will Igbo presidency solve this agitation? Mr. Paul, you're an Igbo man, and you're in the best position to answer this question. So I will start by asking you, what is responsible for the agitation in the East? Considering why there is rise in agitation for cessation in the East and in Nigeria, as you, you can take this increase in agitation out of the manifestation of the messed up entity. That is to say that the increase in agitation is as a result of the fact that the country is already messed up. You start to ask yourself, what can we boast of in this country we call Nigeria? Health, we have zero power, zero education, we can't boast of it. Security, which is the major thing government is set up for. Sports, infrastructure, absolutely nothing. We can't boast of anything in this country. Though there might be other secessionist groups in Nigeria, like the people seeking for Ududua Republic in the Euro, for the Yoruba nation. US, yeah. yeah. The IPOB, that is the indigenous people of Biafra, has taken the center stage today in clamor for secession or what we can actually call agitation. And I can only tell you that it is as a result of a single reason. Okay. It's still this reason that made them so strong and now a serious challenge to both the federal and state government of the East. Okay. This reason is no other thing except that the leader of the indigenous people of Biafra, Namde Kano, uh, capitalized on the numerous mess that has characterized Nigeria as a polity to divert and raise the consciousness of the people of the East. Okay. Coupled with the fact that Biafra is not a new notion, it is not something recent. So to raise people's consciousness with enough fat at his disposal wasn't a very big deal for him. So this singular act, uh, coupled with the state and federal government's mismanagement of the issue at the early stage, all contributed to the momentum the group has gained so far. Most most of the points you raised 
you said something about no health, no school infrastructure, no good roads, no security. But these are things that are common in um, perhaps every zone in the country. I don't think there's health in the north. I don't think there's school in the north. I don't think there's uh, a security in the west. Why is that of the east so special? Why why is there cries of why is the cry for modernization higher? Why is this secession agitation so high in the southeast? Now the, the for the fact that Nigeria is an entity of different uh, groups, the, the 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 to raise people's consciousness based on ethnic dimension is not something very big. Okay. Yes, it's not something very difficult. And for the fact that we have a sense of this is our own and this is their own. Mm. So somebody from the north can actually accept the insecurity in the north for the fact that it is his own person that is there. Mm. Yes, and for the fact that the easterners see it as a challenge to them, you cannot take it out of the fact that they don't have somebody representing them. So they believe that maybe the insecurity towards them is as a result of the fact that they don't have somebody of their own there. So, and coupled with the fact that even the Northerners are not, as in from our history, we can't, we can actually separate who the outsiders are and who the Flanese are. So they even believe that what is going on in the north is not actually insecurity but an attempt to take over the land from the original owners so that culminates into what we are seeing here in the east today so you you can actually envisage that the easterners are actually agitating maybe for the fact that they don't want their own land to be taken away from them like the part of the north so that is why it is more tense here than yeah. Okay. Uh, Mr. Paul, uh, before I was born, we are both young men. Before you and I were born, we have been having issues of marginalization and injustice. Marginalization and injustice. To today, we are still hearing marginalization and injustice. And the biggest region that has been crying about marginalization and injustice are the Easterners. Can you can you briefly discuss what you mean when you say the Easterners or the Igbos are marginalizing Nigeria? Okay, this is what I see as if Nigeria is fair to everybody. Okay. Yeah. So considering that everyone knows that Nigeria has not been fair. Before or since after the civil war, the Igbos has been treated like strangers in Nigeria. Okay. You mean second-class so, citizens? Yes, second-class citizens. Okay. However, it become more pronounced after the civil war. Okay. So numerous policies have been put in place to backslide ordinary women in Nigeria. Can you, can you give us an example of those policies? Such policies, even during the military regime, some Okay, I can take you to the, the proclamation of uh, no victor loan vanquish after the civil war okay. and the three hours of reconstruction, rehabilitation, and reintegration. Okay. These this, uh, this, uh, issues manifested more verbally than in action. But such uh, policies that are against the Igbos, something like the abandonment property stuff, 
okay. and the 20 pounds monetary exchange irrespective of the amount you have with the bank okay. indigenization decree when okay. the Igbos were in economic mess were all enforced strictly so we know a loser of war uh, that is this let me just limit it to what you asked me so all these uh, policies were all set up against the Igbos, most especially when they know that they are in economic mess. Okay. And now, under the administration of um, President Buhari, the uh, agitation for secession has gotten to the highest peak. Some persons are saying that the Igbos have never been so marginalized in Nigeria than they are under this current administration. And some others are saying that this uh, administration is the worst in terms of managing of um, our diversity and um, difference. Can you talk about how the President Buhari administration has marginalized or has been unfair or unjust to the Igbo man? Okay. Uh, when we talk of marginalization in it to the Igbo, uh, we can't just start from Buhari's administration okay. because it, it okay. is something that has been there over time. Okay. Let me draw your attention to the instance of uh, state creation. Okay. Over the years, Igbos have been clamoring for creation of another state in the eastern zone to equate the number of states with other with their counterpart zones in Nigeria. Okay. This particular attempt has been turned down at different occasions because it is a strategy to hinder the southeast from getting equal share with other zones. Okay. And you can't deny the fact that creation of state in Nigeria was the, the, the genesis of creation of state in Nigeria was an attempt to destabilize the Igbo uh, uh, Igbo group by Gowon's government. That is before the inception of the civil war, even during it. Mm-hmm. But, but now, there is benefit attached to state numbers. To create equal states for Easterners beca- uh, became a problem. And this is a strategic problem. This is a strategic marginalization. Now, you, you can't deny the fact that for the fact that the Igbos or the Easterners has the, the, the least number of states, they, they also, through this means, got the least allocation from the government. Okay. Now, I, I have been able to compute the there is state allocations from the federal government. I've been able to compute, based, to compute it based on zones. Okay. And I discovered that in the year 2019, North Central was able to got 2.93 billion allocation from the federal government. Okay. The Northeast got 24.76 billion. Okay. Northwest got 34.54 billion. Okay. Then South South got 50.1 billion. Okay. Southwest got 27.92 billion. Okay. But Southeast got 20.94 billion. That's the lowest. So, so looking at this thing in this way, you discover that Southeast get the least but, in but, the allocation. This is computing it based on geopolitical zones. 
Okay, but but so, you, the figures the figures you dropped are figures for um twenty nineteen. Are you saying this yes. has been consistent since nineteen ninety nine up to twenty nineteen? Is this the pattern or is this something that just started? It is a pattern. Okay, it is the pattern, and this is as a result of the list of the states. You know that these allocations are given through the state pockets. So you don't expect a zone that has seven states to get equal share with a zone that has five states. Exactly. And you don't expect the zone that has six states to get the same share with the zone that has six states. Exactly. So that is why it is important to look at the part of state creation. So, and this does not only man, ma- manifest itself based on revenue allocation. When you look at representative in different uh, uh, a cadre of government. government, you discover that this thing manifests there. So it is as much as economical, as much as it is political. So you discover that even in appointment, in the, the uh, what do we call, call it, allocations, all this is manifest, yes, all this is manifest because of the list of the states we have. So so, and right from the Yakubu Gowon's administration through to that monitor of Basanjo era to Shagari presidency and the dictatorship of Buhari Dabon, up to Babagida and the Abacha regime, communicating into Abdusalami Abubak and the Ulusego of Basanjo to that of Yaradua. This thing has been there. The only time this appointment was able to change hand was during that of Jonathan's administration. So, and Buhari now coming back into power. Now, I'm landing on if Buhari's led federal government has been fair. Okay, now, okay. Yes, now, Buhari coming into power, reinstated all the bad trends that the Igbos has been crying for. So, the ugly situation came back. So, out of the 190 political appointments done by Buhari, okay. you, dis- you discover that Southwest got 64 appointments, Northwest got 37 appointments, okay. Northeast got 29 appointments, okay. North Central 21 appointments, okay. and you see Southeast 15 appointments. Okay. So if you are an Igbo man in this sense, how do you feel? You discover that it is not something recent. So okay. as in there, it's, manif- it's manifesting itself in allocation, it's manifesting itself in political appointment, and it's manifesting itself even in government infrastructure, that, like citing basic important government infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So on that of uh, if the federal government of why has been fair? How do you say that the federal government has been fair to all or to the Easterners when people moving around the streets on the notion of what they believe and wanted without arms are proscribed as a terrorist group? Why those classified as world most dangerous terrorist group are being marked provisions for in the 36 states of the Federation? It's not that the people resisted it. I'm talking of Roga in this aspect. Okay. Okay. You start asking yourself another question. How do you say that the 
federal government has been failed when members of the world ranked terrorist group who claim to have repented are recruited into our state security system and some even given scholarships okay but those who run around the street armless are killed so you you also start asking yourself questions on how do you say that the federal government have been fair when bandits are being brought on a round table to dialogue with government for people who are protesting on the street cannot be brought to the dialogue table with the government at least to know what their demands are if it is something you cannot afford it will be on the record that you address them and they couldn't give you what you want or you couldn't give them what they want but for the fact that they are not the people you want or for the fact that they are from this particular area you you you, you as the president desire to to treat them in the language they will understand i hope you you get my point yeah i understand so so how do you say that the federal government has been failing all this when a man who said there is something i saw recently and i uh, i was like what is this how do you say that the federal government has been failing when a man who buried his mother of laboratory law was spending his money on what he believed is right for him was caught by the security agents of the country for interrogation on frauds this is just for the fact that he is from one particular area are you, saying, are you saying that um, the Igbo man is being targeted because of his being Igbo? Yes, and I, there was something I saw on a comment box made by a friend of Dan Milunia who said that uh, our boss has been arrested by EFCC, but I want to let you all know that you should be calm. That we, the Igbos, are used to EFCC. We are used to Nigeria security treatment. You discover that this is something most of the Minuleas or Binunias of the Igbo uh, uh, clan are undergoing every day without the general public even knowing. So we are just, uh, we are entitled to knowing this one for the fact that the man has be so much known or maybe you want the man of the year yes that is why we're able to 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 know this particular one but going through the comments you see other people commenting we the ibos are used to this you should keep calm we the ibos are used to what nigeria so so they are used to security maltreatment of Nigeria federal government. That is what he's trying to 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 tell us there. So, but you discover that a particular security agency of the country that should be protecting the country from uh, uh, terror, monetary fraud, and other stuff. One of them was actually uh, in that case pinpointed by international. Uh, 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 this thing and F- you discover uh, yes international uh, that is FBI uh, thank you for borrowing me that uh, word <laughs> so you discover that Nigeria federal government for the fact that he is from this particular place 
made them unable to submit him to the appropriate authority to be questioned. You, when you see all these things, you start asking yourself if we are all in this country together. Okay, Mr. Now, Paul. I would like to draw your attention to something that, that just occurred recently. Okay. Now, I, I will still ask you, how do you think that the federal government has been fed? We all know that in the north, the Boko Haram uh, 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 terrorist group has been, has been existing there all this while for no less than 10 or 15 years now. For more than that. Or more than that. But since record, we have not seen or heard that the military investigated. Through their investigation, they find out that a particular Boko Haram member is living in a particular house. And for the fact that he's living in that house, they have to go and burn the house down. But look at the East today. If you if you are following what is happening in Imo State and recently in our local government in Enu, we discovered that the military were burning people's house, chanting military songs in their own territory for the fact that they, they said that they carried an investigation and discovered that an unknown gunman is inhibiting this particular house. And for the fact that he's inhibiting there, they have to burn it down. Okay. I don't know if you if you get the I am understanding the, your point. So if you are from this part and they are watching how games are being played in other parts and the way with the way it's being played in this part, you will discover that something is wrong somewhere. Okay. So uh thank you. Mr. Paul, um there's a, a very important question I want to ask you. Before the declaration of um, uh, the secession of Biafra in 1967, one of the biggest statements, or one of the most important statements um, the late um, General Juku made was that the Igbo man does not feel safe in Nigeria. He does not feel that his rights and aspirations can be protected by the federal government of Nigeria. It is more than 50 years since that statement was made and you were not born then and yes. now that you have you have been born and you have grown up and witnessed everything that is happening in nigeria i want to ask you this question as an Igbo man do you feel safe in nigeria anyway before i go on with that question i would like to restate what i understand by this okay. to before you understand this particular question you ask me, you have to accept the fact that it is a safety is a relative term. Okay. And it assumes different meaning and interpretation to people and situations. Okay. Safety itself predates the quest for food, clothing and shelter. That is in my personal understanding. Okay. This basic need that I just mentioned about one aspect of safety. Now, there are other aspects like political safety, social safety, and relative safety. That is, what I mean by relative safety, when you compare yourself with people who you know that by right, 
they are supposed to be in the same category of affairs with them. When you look at these people, are you really in the same category? When you look at safety in this aspect, you will understand that the Easterners or Igbo man cannot be saved in Nigeria. So, so how can you be saved in a country you have least legislatures, just like I was telling you in the number of states? How will you be saved in a country you have the least of the states? How will you be saved in a country you have least political appointments? How will you be saved in a country that you receive least allocations? These are basic questions. How can you be saved where all the security agencies of the country are headed by other groups? None of your own is there. Do you believe it that when Nigeria have national security council meeting that nobody from the East used to be there? So how can you be saved in this particular situation? So how can you be saved in a country that have decided that no matter how you try, they don't look at you the way they look at the other group. So how can you feel safe in a country where you protest, which is your democratic right to protest, to tell government that they are not fair? This is something that is a principle of democracy. Okay. But when you do this in this part of the country, you, you, you will either get killed or even, <laughs> in short, you will be proscribed. So how can you be saved? Okay, <laughs> how, can, how can the Easterners be saved when Python are dancing here? Okay. Now, I want, to, I, want to, I want to bring something to your notice. How can you feel saved? In this part of the country, where headsmen will attack you, and when you are calling the security agencies, they will be telling you will respond to the situation. But once you plan a counter attack on these people, the security agencies will have what we call a uh, 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 how do I put it? Emergency response. <laughs> they, they, they will have what we call. Uh, they will get intelligence reports of <laughs> of uh, of uh, security situation, and you discover that this is one-sided intelligence. When these people want to attack, the state security agencies don't always have security intelligence detection. But once you plan a counter attack on them. You will discover that the security personnel will get intelligence reports and they will attend to the matter before it even happens. So how do you feel safe in this part of the country? How can you feel safe if you have traveled around the east? You discover that all the truck A roads in the east are nothing to write to my about. I know it is like that in most country, in most parts of the country. But if you have passed through the Onicha Telugu Expressway, you discover that the, the express has been covered with, do I say forest or bush? Most vehicles don't pass there again. So, 
that is the basic question we have to answer. When you look at security in our respect of sleeping and waking up, you discover that a Igbo man can sleep and wake up in Nigeria. But when you look at safety in relative aspects, how am I treated when I compare myself with others? You discover that they are not safe. Okay, Mr. Paul, um, I have noticed that the biggest supporters of this um, Biafra movement are ordinary people market women, traders, bike men, artisans. Why is this so? Why are we not seeing members of the upper class uh, uh, being so much involved in this movement? Are we saying that the marginalization is for one part of the Igbos and another part of the Igbos are enjoying Nigeria? Or What, what do you have to say about this? Anyway, on the part of who follows the agitation, I would like to uh, to bring you to a little social reality. Mm. Now, this uh, this uh, notion of market women and traders being the biggest support of Imam Dekan is the most common wrong notion anyone can have about Biafra agitation. Okay. But before I go further, I would like to bring you into a simple reality. Now, you, you discover that in every society, we have what is called the status quo. When I say the status quo, I mean the, the way things are being done or the way things are. Okay. And every status quo has people that it is favorable to. Okay. Now, there are other class who this status quo might not be favorable to, but they depend on it or those it is favorable to for survival. I don't know if you get my point. I am understanding it. Okay. So you are saying there are people who the status quo is not benefiting, but they yes. depend on it to survive. They depend on it or depend on those that it is favorable to for survival. Okay. Now, and the, the, the third party of this, these are the people that okay. the status quo is not favorable to them. Okay. They have the impact of the status quo. Okay. And they don't depend directly on the government or those the status quo okay. are favorable to. Or okay. survivor, so their own survivor is based on their struggle. Okay. So, and when you look at society like this, you'll be able to to determine that market women mm. are those groups. They don't depend on the status quo. They don't depend on those who the status quo are favorable to for their survivor. But the status quo is affecting them. So you must be able to understand this social reality before you can determine who is in support or not. Now, to make things worse, our political society is one where the state is relatively unautonomous. 
and a source of subjugation and subordination. I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. Definitely, I'm getting you. So, the state itself is relatively unautonomous and a source of subjugation. The state actors can use any political apparatus within their disposal to make sure that the status quo is being protected. Okay. People are much aware of this reality. That is why it seems the agitation is a market woman thing. This is because they belong to the class the status quo affects, but they don't depend on the status quo majorly for their survival. Or to those the status quo are favorable to. They can gather without you having any institutional means to punish them. They end their living without direct connection to government or the state. They are making their living goes on already leveled ground that the, the state permits, which might not be favorable to them 100%, but they have to survive. So, but the other class who are dependent on the status quo or those it is favorable to, will not come out where they will be seen, even though their heart and mind are with those that can come out for the struggle. I don't know if you get it perfectly. Yes. These people can only tell you that, they can only tell you their mind when you have personal encounter with them. (laughs) These people will only show solidarity when they are sure that they will have a safe landing. Are you getting it? This is... Because there is no strong legal institution in place that will save them, even when it is their right to identify with any group of their choice. So, but for the fact that the institution we have is a weak institution, and we have strong personalities, they already know that the personalities can use the institutions against them. Now, okay. for, for you to understand it, how would you describe a situation where government and corporate workers in a nation obey a seat at home order given by a non-state actor or government? It's not a form of solidarity. Why would banks, government establishments, and private sectors bring down state flag at instructions of a, 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 a how do I say it? At the instructions of a group which is against the state. Okay. You might consider this as, uh, uh, how do I put it? You might consider that these people are doing this because of fear. Okay. Even at that, even if they, they are doing this as a result of fear, how, whose responsibility is it to protect? So if the state cannot protect people who are with them. That simply means the state has failed. So rather than seeing this thing as, 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 as fear, it should be seen more as solidarity. So whichever way you look at it, it proves nothing more than solidarity to the agitation. The notion of traders market women's thought is purely a delusion. It's a wrong one. And yeah, Thank you, Mr. Paul. Um, let's quickly answer a few more questions um, before we call it a day. Uh, when we talk of marginalization and unfair treatment of the Igbos, is it just a federal government thing? 
There's another perspective blaming the Igbo elites for contributing to this situation. Are you in support of that perspective or not? Or are you saying this is a federal government thing or the Igbo elites have a hand in this? Please contribute briefly. Nah, it can't be. It can't be. It can't be federal government thing alone. Though marginalization like safety is a relative um, term. Yes. Which entails unequal treatment among sessions of parties. But when you look at it, well, it can also mean a segregational attitude between or with uh, within people in the same group. This simply means that marginalization and bad treatment of the Southeasterners cannot be federal government in alone. In short, when you look at the Nigeria Constitution, there is an outline session which the state government can attend to without the federal intervention. You, you see this, or even the one they can attend to with the federal uh, in, uh, 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 intervention. You, you see this in a concurrent and residual list. But when you look at these sections or sectors that that the states are empowered to attend to, you discover that the Southeast are not better off. Are you saying the federal government is marginalizing the Igbos and the Igbo elites are also marginalizing the Igbos? Exactly my point. Exactly my point. Now, when you look at uh, uh, these, these sectors where the Igbos are supposed to look at, you discover that they are not better off. There is no Southeastern state with the budget that is not bigger than the budget of Republic of Ghana. Wow. And when you put the budget of these five Eastern states together, it is bigger than the national budget of 10 West African states. Wow. And you have to ask yourself, what have they done with this money? The public service is zero. Look at electrification. Look at areas like industry and commercial. How many industries are cited in the southeast by state? Look at infrastructure outlook of markets in the south and in the southeast. Look at market like Ariaba on the Shamim market and the Wete market in the Nugu. This one that vehicles find it difficult to enter or exit this market. And they are entirely out of the jurisdiction of the federal government. Is this education you can boast of? The federal government did not dismantle the government college at Omaha. Nor did they do that to face college in Enu. They did not destroy Eastern primary schools. Hmm. Are you getting it? Hmm. Federal government did not stop the Easterners from investing in agriculture. The federal government did not stop the Easterners from building mega city infrastructures like roads. Look at all the truck railroad in the east. Everything is in abysmal. They didn't stop them from building hospitals, cultural infrastructures like community center, recreational center, and public parks. So, this is bad governance within the eastern states coupled with the federal government's marginalization, cumulated 
into the eastern agitation for a new nation, for a new government, and for a new order. Thank you, Mr. Paul. Our one last question before we go. There is this perspective, especially in other parts of the country, that the the the, the the all and all of this agitation is just the demand for Igbo presidency. If you give them presidency, the agitation will die a natural death. What they are doing all these things for is for presidency. Are you in support or are you against? Do you think that an Igbo presidency is the solution to um, the agitation for Piafra? Mm, now, uh, this, this particular notion of Igbo presidents and the death of the agitation was what actually made the agitation go to this level. Because all the southeastern elites refused to get themselves involved into the agitation to protect their political uh, uh, interests. Now, when the uh, agitation started, it fell on the elite of the East to bring these people together, discuss with them, find out what their problem is, and find a better diplomatic way to address it with the federal government. But because of political interests, the desire to seek federal power okay. at the expense of their people, even in their different political and religious offices, watching the federal government send military might to the east in order to dehumanize and kill the able-bodied men in the east. So this particular notion is a lithic notion, which I don't know if it is abiding or binding are, are you saying at the average mind of the agitators. Are you saying... So, are you saying if um, an Igbo elite is made president today, a member of the Igbo elite is made president today, the agitation will not die? I don't think it will die. I don't think. What, what they need is not actually a, a, a president. Even if they are not giving the Southeast president, I think they should be able to bring them into a round table to know what their grievances are, discuss and figure out how to fix them back into Nigeria. Because they, they have already... Now, the average agitator in the streets, or uh, uh, how do I put it, already foresee all the elites in the Igbos or all the political gladiator of the East as a betrayer. Because they have been expecting them to speak up, but at this juncture, they have refused to. Even those who have speaked up were all speaking based on interest instead of the interests of the people. And they discovered that the game is towards the center. So the people are no longer in. I don't think they still have that trust towards these elites. Okay. So rather than giving them presidency, I think it, it should be more proper to address them in a more suitable way 
to make them aid their views and give you what their grievances are. With that, presidency or no presidency, they, they, they will still fix in in Nigeria. Okay, Mr. Paul, uh, do you have any last words? As an Ibu man, what, what does the future hold? What, uh, what do you have to say about the future, your future of um, the average Ibu man in this country? And any last words before we end this um, program? The future of average Ibu man is a bright one if Nigeria will see it that way. If ethnicism and the parochialness will allow the leading class to see Nigeria as their own and not to see Nigeria first before any other thing, then the future is bright. But with the current dispensation, I think the future of Iboma lies on the struggle. So, but if Nigeria, yes, for freedom. But if Nigeria can still bring them closer, talk to them as your own. I don't know if they are seeing Eastern youth as people different from normal Nigeria, because the way they address them most of the time, they they, they describe them as jobless youth. Uh, and you start to ask yourself, question, even if a youth is jobless. Does that mean that he doesn't have rights? So even if, even at that, if they are jobless, jobless people have rights. Bring them closer. Find out what their grievances are and find out how to fix them. A better Nigeria can be achieved, but we have to sort things out. With the current dispensation, there is no hope for Nigeria. But if we can fall back and lay a better foundation for the country, the country will be a great one. We have much countries that have undergone these processes and later fall back to their feet. You can't, you can't, uh, if you look at countries like China, you discover that there was once when they were a mess. In short, there is no country you can talk about today as a great country that was never a mess. Even the almighty America. So, but things have to be fixed. Things have to be put in place. I agree with you completely. Yes, so things have to be put in place. If things are not put in place, we are diving into what we call anarchy. Because the government of the day has been divided away. You don't know if it is the, the state actors and the federal government that is leading in the East, or if it is the indigenous people of Biafra, it's discovered that things are no longer in place. And if it should continue like this, there is no hope for anybody. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Paul, for your profound um, submissions and um, suggestions and ideas. Mr. Paul is a young um, Igbo man, and uh, I believe he speaks for millions of young Igbo persons like himself and for the Igbo race concerning the situation of the Southeast. This country is messed up and can only be fixed if the principles of um, justice, unity, fairness, and even development is being pursued and followed. 
you cannot talk about unity without um, talking about fairness, without giving everyone a sense of belonging, and without making everyone feel safe and part of the Nigerian uh, project. Thank you, Mr. Paul, for today. We hope to see you on a subsequent episode of uh, our program. Thank you so much for being with us, Mr. Paul. Thank you, Mr. Caleb. I'm always with you. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. And you too.